Chapter 21 Fire Red and Blue General Parrick doesn't even drink. Then why all the crappy booze? He's been charging it to our house's personal account. I'll ask him the next time he comes in. We'll test him to be sure he's still clean. Confessor, we're concerned that we don't know what's happening to our own son. What's going on? There are important matters stemming from last year's incident in the Underhive. Parrick has agreed to help sort the situation. That's suitably vague. Should we be worried? Not at all, General. The situation is wholly under control. His 18th birthday is coming up. I'd like to know if he'll be available for the party or swimming in a vat. General, when will you be heading back into orbit? Later this week. Why? And when you are up there, who do you meet? The Astra Militarum. I can't be more specific. Have you met the warriors of the Shadow Legion? Of course. So has the Governor and several other lords in Hydra Cluster. Then it would seem safe enough to tell you that I have as well. I'd requested extra security in a reserved section of the pool deck and let Sandara know we needed to talk at the end of the session. I was in and out of the cabana in two minutes, making way for Luna and Bree and their day packs of highly anticipated leisure wear. When Bree finally emerged, I was awestruck. Without the layers of body armor and dura leather, charge packs and pistols, and the expression of a fate's enforcer, there existed a stunning and confident overhive princess wearing a remarkably fine fire red and blue one-piece, my new favorite colors. I stepped in beside Bree and took her hand. I suggest we start by the floating bar. It's time to celebrate Luna Rayner finally having a true rival. You don't. You think she'll notice. Ask me what she's wearing. What's she wearing? I have no idea. Liss laughed. Smooth as a silver-tongued devil. We all had our lines to follow. Sandara Laveau gave me plenty of space for the afternoon. But List, not so much. The situation allowed me to speak to the Holland siblings, sharing my plans for the next two days, and hearing their reactions. I had underhive meetings that couldn't wait. I'd need their help. I also explained that they might need to find a new safe harbor to float in whenever this week was over. Worse than Bree's frown was List's explanation for the series of minute scars on his sister's back. Lord Holland had started in early on his daughter, and I was sure Asher had seen plenty as they tried to find the right suit to hide it. Asher spent the afternoon parked beside Agnes, overlooking the vast pool. Agnes was her security blanket as well as her girlfriend. Ash enjoyed the faux coastline and the distant attention of other patrons in the Sunshine Club, but did her best to pretend otherwise. Her eyes seemed to study Bree and me, and she knew there was more afoot today than merely a good time. For all of her thrill-seeking ways, Asher McNail was the epitome of careful. Her hidden anxiety forced her to play it safe and take her time selecting the right path for her life. Her brother Court was always overprotective and always throwing up a hard front to keep her suitors at bay. As a distraction and a bodyguard, I might have been the perfect boyfriend for Ash, but she'd seen the video, and it had scared her beyond belief. I hoped Agnes could coax Ash forward and help her reach her full potential as a rising star of fashion on Fulcrum 4. I couldn't stomach Cortland McNeil or some off-world entity making all the decisions for her. While Asher had her brother Court, Bree had Liss to watch her back, but neither of the Holland siblings were prepared to survive the storm that was brewing in the Underhive. Floating somewhere between the warmest of wet bars and the frozen tundra at the pool's far end, between the uncertain smiles of Brianne Holland and the careful glances of Luna Rayner, I changed my plans. I still had underhive meetings to make, but my priorities were founded on a new realization. 
I had found myself in the eyes of a few friends, and even if I couldn't alter my fate, I would protect those few around me. Another round of negotiations was about to begin with Sandara Laveau. We stayed beyond the closing of the poolside domain, getting changed while the crews covered the pools and cleared the decks for a new, more aggressive configuration. More bar counters were set up around the cavernous room. Cabanas were cleaned and stowed. Sunlight was replaced by lasers and indirect lighting. Our group consisted of Asher and Agnes, List, Stevie the Fire Girl, Bree, and Luna. Sandara had her eight bodyguards. We all stood on the hardened platform covering the massive pool, right above the floating ice field, and I skipped full introductions. Sandara, this is Bree. The fates call her Breezy, and those hell pistols she wears are on the Adeptus Arbitus most wanted list. Luna coughed and stared at the ground, hiding her smile like a professional. Sandara definitely knew about Breezy, but not in a good way. She crossed her arms and nodded at me to continue. Having experienced the artistry of your crew, I'd like to have a friendly contest if you've got some fresh bottles to spare. Sandara knew my preferences well. We always have plenty of starfire. Will that do? Please have a case delivered to the far end of the pool and choose a contender. Birch. She made a good choice. Slugs versus lasers. Sandara, if you'll accompany me to the far end, it's time for some target practice. That got everyone's attention. Sandara was suddenly nervous. What game are we playing tonight, Silver? The end game is beginning. Any luck with the unwanted device? Some. We're looking at mimicking its dead man timer in hopes that we can disconnect it and spoof whatever is waiting to trigger it. How long do we have? 24 hours at best. Sandara grinned. Feth and I was hoping you'd give us a day. We both chuckled. How do you do that, I said. What? You roll with it like nobody I've ever seen. That's the secret. Who has time to worry when you're the boss? You scratch and kick and do what you must when the wind changes. We didn't really have wind inside the hive city, but we did have plenty to scratch and kick. We reached the case of Fulcrum's finest undrinkable spirits. Starfire 69's heavy percentage of rough alcohol had squashed any chance at enjoyment until now. Take two. I reached in and grabbed a bottle in each hand. Throw when I throw. Ready. I tossed both of my beautiful bottles high over the pool deck. They sailed out across the floor with Sandara's pair in flight behind them. Without any warning, the four bottles exploded in midair, three of which were lovely fireballs, showing everyone the difference between lasers and slugs. Several fire extinguishers appeared, snuffing out the splatterings of burning liquid before they could mar the furniture or set off any alarms. Sandara relaxed at my benign experiment. She was catching on to my game. Impressive. We've got eight bottles left. I say she can't hit six. What do I get if she does? I'm sure you already have something in mind. I have several things in mind, but I'll settle for something stronger than Starfire 69. Silver, let's throw before you get all hot and bothered. Seven small fireballs lit up the sunshine ballroom, leaving only one for Birch. Being a blue fate, Bree was gifted with unreal quickness and aim. Her brother List, also a blue, offered inhuman speed. If we'd turned him loose, he might have caught all eight bottles before they hit the floor. Bree and List might end up as orphans if they survive what's coming. Worse, they might be hunted by higher powers. Can you protect them? Sandara practically drooled at the thought of having a pair of fates in her domain. I will if it comes to that. Now what do you need from me? Something that can get a witch all hot and bothered.
The Red Baron was harboring an entity on the Inquisition's most wanted list. It was a catastrophe in the making. I'd been tasked with decloaking the demon host before the demon Han made an entrance. Once Lady Han was unmasked and located, the Shadow Legion and Banisher Stone would crash the Underhive and do their thing. The fact that Chimera Stone was no longer calling for my execution led me to believe I might be in for the hotter ride. We met up at the kitchen club after our fun day at the pool. Asher and Agnes had been escorted home, safe and sound, and we'd all gotten a few hours of sleep ahead of our late-night planning session. The days of sub-zero sunshine were over. We were about to take a small risk that, if all went well, would lead to significantly larger ones. That was my plan in its simplest form. I wasn't going to the Underhive party alone or empty-handed. I'd be inviting friends and bringing gifts. Tonight's meeting would be a dry run of sorts, and a way to sort the special delivery. Stevie, I know we've only met, but you will be the most important member of the crew during our meeting tomorrow with the Red Baron. Can you handle the pressure? Stevie was a petite, fire-haired individual with tattoos on her arms and neck that matched her personality. She enjoyed the attention and the stares of our group, but she also had her limits. I won't let that bastard touch me, and I won't cook anyone if that's what you're asking. Can you cook a bottle of Starfire as quickly as Brie? Sure, I can cook a whole case. That's perfect. Tonight, everyone sitting here will be going to meet Lalo Green in the Fates Club Room. Luna perked up. And where is this club room? The Underhive. Luna had never been near the Underhive. Not even close. Few in the Adeptus Arbitus ever ventured that deep and never without an urgent reason and a quick way out. I watched Luna's face and waited. She stared back as the color drained from my eyes, leaving only silver. Luna merely had to find the motivation to back out or go forward. Now was the time to decide. Luna thought it through. Do I get to bring my hell gun? In a room full of fates, I doubted it would help. It might even make matters worse, marking her as an arbiter and a primary target. Not tonight, I said. You'll be safer without it. When we get there, I'll give you something better. Bree had been right, and she proved it by crossing her arms and leaning ever so gently against my shoulder. It was a simple gesture, and a statement for the junior arbiter sitting across the table. Luna took her eyes off of me for a second, reading the scene. She found her motivation, deadpanning. I can't wait. Neither could I. List will be on Overwatch and Stevie will bounce the door. Bree and Luna will act as my bodyguards. We won't be there long, but if any wardens approach, Luna will lead the way out and keep them at bay. I scouted the more familiar sections of the Underhive again that evening. I bolstered my energy and softened the fate's defenses by picking off ones and twos with the parasitic powers of the ethereal silver boss. I hadn't seen any sign of the wardens or their witch, but I would never forget drowning in their void bubbles and assume that they were buried deeper than I dared to go. Was I too terrified to risk my soul alone in their lair? By the Emperor's teeth I was. With List leading the way, we exited the sole-functioning service elevator into 100B. He was fast enough to scout ahead and flush out any hostile watchers. Stevie trailed our group, walking beside a pallet drone that carried several crates marked as Starfire 69. Luna and Bree walked at my side. List had already gone inside by the time we reached the club room, and the bouncers had backed away from the door. The fates had spread out around the room, as if that would have helped their cause, and Boss Green waited behind the bar, his hands placed flat on the polished counter. Lalo pointed at Luna. Who's she? 
That's Luna, my bodyguard. Where are your metacuffs? Lalo reached under the bar and slapped the priceless device on the counter between us. I scooped them up and handed them to Luna. Lalo didn't seem to know what to make of the gesture. This is my domain, Silver. Never was a man more wrong. I allowed Lalo his nerves and his ability to read people's intent. I wasn't there to harm him. Lalo, I can tell when someone is lying and so can you. This isn't your domain. The fate stays here are numbered. As a green fate, Lalo could see things others couldn't. I hadn't stolen any of his insightful power tonight, but I knew the truth going in. What's with all the cheap booze? I hope that's not for me. It's a peace offering for the Baron and Lady Hawn. I plan on delivering it tomorrow night, so don't touch it. That's a lousy ticket in. Who says they'll even want to see you? It's only polite to return a favor and pay one's debts, isn't it? I owe the Baron and Lady Hawn plenty, but as for a ticket in, I think these will work. I drew out a pair of silvery-gray daggers and set the empty one on the counter. Show that to the Baron and tell him to make himself available tomorrow night. Why should I help you? Lalo, this isn't about you or me. It's about everyone here. We'll all be dead along with the Red Baron if you don't cooperate. And do what? Dump all your off-world stock into the pit. What the feth do you know about the pit? I've been there. Who do you think has been raiding it? I'd been wiping it clean, siphoning off any warp-tainted energy that I found. The impact of my words and intentions on the mind of Lalo Green was immense. He had to take them at face value. With his green talent, he knew they were true. If the sanctioned powers above found the pit, they'd connect it back to the fates and the 99s and clean house. My goal was to make it a far more mundane dumping ground and a waste of time for the Adeptus Arbitus or the Inquisition to investigate. Lalo knew I wasn't done. What else? Show me where you pick up the new shipments. Show me how they come in from off-world. The deliveries must stop. It's the key to the Baron's power. He would never give it up. I pointed to my stack of Starfire. Then it's best we deliver the goods and throw a big party before the Baron's lust for power destroys us all. If I have to die, it better be with a terrible hangover.